Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Purdy Insurance. Visit Purdy Insurance on Market Street in Sunbury or visit online at purdyinsurance.com. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Auto Home Life Business, they take care of all your insurance needs. They'll do everything they can to save you money as well. Great people who are the pros, pros. When it comes to insurance, Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury, go to purdyinsurance.com. And we're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Dave Zagaro in just a few moments. For first, our play-by-play call of the day. It's not an Eagles call. Shotgun snap. He pops, throws it down the middle of the field. That's Juju Smith-Schuster pulling it in for the Steelers. Go-ahead touchdown from 25 out. Ben threw a strike, and Juju took care of the rest. Yeah, Penn State has had more wins in the month of December than the Eagles and Steelers combined. All right. (laughs) Oh, well. But the Steelers won. Bill Hillgrove on the Steelers radio network. All right. Dave Zagaro, NBC Philly, joins us. Hello, Dave. Welcome back. Great to have you with us. Uh, to you and yours, Happy New Year. Same to you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. How difficult a decision do the Eagles have in the offseason about what to do at quarterback? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's really the uh, the biggest decision they have, which is saying something considering, you know, I'm also including – the head coach decision in there as well um yeah i mean i, I think it, it clearly is the biggest decision because they've uh invested so much in carson wentz to this point in draft equity and then obviously the big contract extension which hasn't even kicked in yet in terms of that new money which is hard to believe um would they really be willing to move on from him and it's also tough because they're really only going to have four games of Jalen Hurts to evaluate him. So is that enough time to say, oh, he's the guy? Um, and it, you have to, they have to ask themselves if it's a tenable situation to have both of them on the roster next year. Because if not, well, then you have to move one of them. And then you're setting yourself up for this potentially disastrous scenario in which one of them goes elsewhere and goes on to either have a great career in Hurts' case or um, bounce back and and reclaim his career like Carson Wentz might do. All right, so yesterday Hurts got off to a really good start, and then the last two and a half quarters, he had not played the way I thought he was going to play. And then I watched him play the last two and a half quarters, and to be honest with you, Dave, my pre-assumption going in was that's how I thought he was going to play, was the last two and a half quarters. So what did you see? What was the difference? Yeah, and it wasn't just him. Um, I think there were a lot of issues offensively. 
I saw late in the game he started to force things, and it, honestly, late in the game he kind of reminded me of Carson Wentz from yeah. a lot of the, the earlier part of the season that uh, he felt like he had to try to put the team on his back and do it all, and he couldn't, and I turned the ball over a few times. Uh, overall, the offense just wasn't good enough. Uh, they had ended up with six false starts, which is, <laughs> I mean, that's really hard to do, actually. Um, Especially with very few fans of the stands. Yeah, I mean, there, I think there were like 30,000, but I, I don't think it was an, an issue of uh, right. crowd noise, you know. <laughs> but um, I'm saying, it, though, but I'm saying that it, it should not be an issue. Yeah, no, it absolutely shouldn't be an issue. I mean, even if there were fans, you you can't have six false starts. Um, I I didn't think he played particularly well. Apparently, um, he did get uh, nicked up in that game. Um, I I don't know how much that affected him, both running the ball and passing. Um, I guess it had a little bit to do with it. But, yeah, I mean, he didn't play well enough in that game. Uh, But he wasn't going to be perfect either. I mean, he was going to – it wasn't like – he was going to play lights out these four games. And honestly, sure. uh, this is kind of what I expected, were, were to see some ups and downs and, and really to put them in a position where they had this incomplete evaluation of Jalen Hurts in four games because I don't think four games is enough to have a complete evaluation, and that's kind of what, what's happening. Yeah, uh, that's why I think this is such a critical decision for them. They have to decide going forward what to do about Carson Wentz. But to me, all this began, in all honesty, with the Eagle offense, starting with the Brooks injury in the preseason, which has been forgotten in all of this. And then they started losing tackles, and then they moved Peters over to tackle, and you know Peters wanted more money, and then Peters got hurt but still got his money. I mean, there's, uh, I mean they're a mess up front. Yeah, yeah, no, they absolutely are. And you're right. I mean, Brandon Brooks is is a big part of this, and it's not just him, obviously, but losing a guard you wouldn't think would affect your offense that much, but when it's that guard, I mean, he's he's the best, in my opinion, he's the best right guard in football, so uh, it clearly affected them, and, and it's not just him. I mean, they lost him and Lane Johnson. They lost Andre Dillard, uh, who, which, who knows, you know, Jordan Mylotta might be playing at a higher level now than Dillard would have if he, if he if he played this season, but they lost Isaac Samalu for two months in there. I mean, the right guard position they've gone through everyone. Drake Driscoll got hurt on top of it. Uh, it's kind of unbelievable how many injuries they've sustained on the offensive line this year. And honestly, you know, you brought up how the Brooks injury kind of spiraled and, and it led to a lot of things. I think the offensive line play in front of Carson Wentz really affected him this year, and that's not to give him an excuse because he didn't play well enough. But mm-hmm. you know he was seeing ghosts, and I think it, it did get in his head, and and it really did start with that Brooks injury. The, they lose Fletcher Cox yesterday, and it seemed like defensively that's where the spiral there began. Uh, what did you think about the? Uh, not having Fletcher Cox and how much did that contribute to what we ended up seeing yesterday? Because Andy Dalton looked like Johnny Unitas, and this yeah, I say and I say and, and I say this on the 62nd anniversary of the Johnny Unitas Colts overtime win over the Giants in '58. Yeah, and you know with with Fletcher, 
a lot of what he does goes unnoticed. Uh, he's still a really good player, even when the, the numbers aren't really piling up. And they already went into that game without Derek Barnett and Josh Sweat. So they're down, at that point, three of their best pass rushers. And in that game, with all the injuries on the back end, now you have a depleted secondary and an inability to get after a passer. And it's really just a, a terrible recipe. And, and that's kind of what happened. Andy Dalton had time to sit in the pocket and pick apart players who shouldn't be on the field in the secondary. So uh, kind of a, a, a perfect storm in, on defense yesterday. And you're right. I mean, losing Fletcher Cox was a big part of that. Okay, so they've got Washington this week. They play a role in the playoff chase, and the role is if they win either the Giants or the Cowboys, get into the playoffs. What about this matchup? Because, I mean, now that Dwayne Haskins isn't there, I mean, I think it swings the balance about no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but, but what do you think about the matchup, and uh, what does Hurts have to do, or what doesn't he do? in a game like this that then makes you think about the quarterback situation differently? I, I think I, – I, I don't think there's anything he can do to change their decision in, in one game. I mean, it shouldn't – right now I don't think there should be a clear consensus on what to do. And I don't think one game against another bad team really – should determine that. Um, I think ultimately they're going to have to look at the whole body of work, and it's not enough. I, I don't know what they're going to do, and I, it, it's normally I have some sort of feeling on these things, and I don't right now. But everyone's acting like it's so easy to trade Carson Wentz, and it isn't. It just isn't, and it's not just. There's a lot of aspects to this, and, and financial is a big part of it. You're going to end up with a ton of dead money. Um, but yeah. aside from that, it's just, it's really a, a change organizationally from, and that's something they've never done. I mean, since they drafted Carson Wentz, he was always their guy. Um, yeah. And they've seen him play at a really high level. And the idea that they would give up on him and just give him to another team where he could go on to potentially have a great career I, I don't know how they can come back from that as an organization if that's the way it plays out um, and I think they have to ask themselves about ceiling here you know is right because we've seen Carson Wentz the ceiling and Carson and I don't know if he can get back to it but Carson Wentz the ceiling is pretty darn high it's, yes, it's it MVP is. level high what's Jalen Hurts ceiling I don't know that answer I'm not sure they do either does Doug Peterson make it through this? I'm starting to get the sense that he will. Uh, he certainly talked today like a man who expects to be back next year. Now, some of that can be him campaigning for his job, but uh, he, he talked very, very confidently today. Um, it certainly sounded like a guy who thinks he's going to be back next year. Uh, you know, you, you look at it and you say, this team is awful, they need to blow it up, but... I don't have a lot of confidence that they will. Um, and it, you look at the head coach and you think, well, he won a Super Bowl a few years ago that, that buys him equity. And, um, and Jeff Lurie has been patient at times. He wasn't patient with Chip Kelly, but Chip Kelly was a jerk, quite honestly, and it, it, that matters. 
Um, yes, it does. You know, I, I I don't think he wants to throw Doug Peterson out, and we know he has a really close relationship with Howie Roseman, who to me is a bigger culprit in this team's failure right now than Doug Peterson. I don't think the roster is good enough. I think he's mismanaged it, but uh, we know how close those two guys are. So, uh, as strange as it is, I, I don't know if it's out of the question that they almost run this back, which seems crazy, but I, I don't I don't think that's out of the question. I think he's going to be back. I think I think if you commit to Howie Roseman being back, which they have, I don't see them making a change at coach either. That's just my gut feeling from the outside looking in from 30,000 feet, and I freely admit I might be 32,000 feet from the Eagles situation. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's a tough thing to figure out. It's easy to say they should blow it up, and then you look at what they actually might do, and it's tougher to to say they should make a change. Um, I, I don't necessarily think it will be a bad thing, and that's not to say it's all Doug's fault. Um but, you know, they got rid of their offensive coordinator last year, and they kind of put more of the onus on Doug, and they brought in some other pieces to kind of uh, make this collaborative effort, but ultimately the offense was on him, and the offense hasn't scored 30 points in the game this year, and there's a lot of factors in that. Doug will happily point out injuries, and, and his other defenders will happily point out that the quarterback didn't play well, but... Doug didn't do a good job this year either. I mean, the offense falls on him. In-game decisions weren't very good. Um, and earlier this season, I, I really thought there was a chance they were going to move on from him, and I, I'm starting to lose that sense now. Let me ask you something that's out of the box here for a moment. What do you think it meant to the Eagles' offense when Frank Reich took the Colts' head coaching job? It hurt them, for sure. And it was also the loss of John Filippo. I think you can kind of package yeah. those two up in a way because those two, um, you know, you, you can talk about Nick Foles. And, and I, I more look at it with Carson in mind because Nick Foles kind of caught lightning in a bottle. Um, he's been really good at times in short stretches in his career, one of the weirdest careers we've ever seen. But uh, the combination – of Reich, DiFilippo, and Doug Peterson got the most out of Carson Wentz that year. It put them on a path to winning 13 games and getting the, the number one seed. And all that was because they got the most out of Wentz. I think people kind of overlook how good he was that year and, and how much of a role he played in that championship. Um, and he hasn't been the same since then. And you can point at the injuries, and I think that's fair, but I also kind of question the coaching around him. There's no doubt that they've missed Frank Reich and John DiFilippo. Um, it's just such an inexact science to try to figure out how much they've missed them. Uh, but it's, it's certainly fair to ask, and, and we've done that a lot over the last couple of years for sure. Always a pleasure, Dave. Really appreciate your time very much. All right, thank you. Have a good one. Happy, happy New Year to you and yours. Thanks, you too. All right. Matt, it's a conversation that could not have made you happy. It's just its exactly the way I feel. I mean, I pretty much echo everything Dave said. It's its very, very strange. 
and probably the strangest dynamic I've ever seen with this organization. And as I've said, and as I said before, if you keep Howie and Doug, or, or if you keep Howie or Doug, or both, if you're Jeff Lurie, you've lost all credibility for me when it comes to him finally have won a Super Bowl. He earned that credibility as owner that he finally made the right moves and made the right hires to get to that point, the organization to that point, and you were established that way. Sure, you lost some coaches, but that would tell me if you had, if you had the ability to win a Super Bowl, that means you have the people to still keep yourself afloat and in that conversation no matter who you lose, whether it's the coaching staff or players. They've gone south every single year since, and now it's the worst it's been, and now we're talking about bringing two guys back that have played a big part into why this year has been dismal for this team. And that, that just loses credibility for me. And I, th- and I think you can tell through Dave it, it'll lose a lot of credibility among all Philadelphia, among the Eagles fan base. I think you're a hater. <laughs> All right. So. <laughs> I mean, especially if you're bringing Carson back. I mean, the, the dynamic's broken between him and, and Doug. I don't care how much, how much they try to dispute it, blah, blah, blah. He needs to take a step back. He can learn from it. It's done. You, This team cannot survive with Carson Wentz at the helm if Doug Peterson is still the coach of this team. It just can't happen. I don't know. I'm not so sure about that. Um, and the reason I'm not so sure about that is that they had so many devastating injuries on the offensive line. I think the domino effect was too much for anybody to overcome. I think Hertz helped them overcome some because he can run around a little bit. But running around a little bit, I only goes so far and I think that one thing about Wentz is that if you can protect him properly and I don't mean four to five seconds there are going to be times he's going to have to run and move like any other quarterback okay but I think he's got to be the guy moving forward and I think it all has to start up front, the problem is going to be their current draft spot is six, right? The guy that you would need to draft, Penny Sewell, in all likelihood is going to be gone at six. And I think then becomes a big decision. Who is that person? All right, we'll come back with more in a moment. On News Radio 1070 WKOK, as the Doug Peterson Love Fest continues on News Radio 1070. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. 
The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Okay, uh, Phil Necro passed away, 81 years of age. Uh, the um, master of the knuckleball, Hall of Famer. Uh, then it would take time to work with other knuckleball pitchers. He would work out with, I mean, Tim Wakefield would go to him for advice. Charlie Huff would go to him for advice, and he'd be able to straighten him out. And then Casey Jones passed away. Uh, Two championships with USF, an Olympic gold medal. Eight of his nine years, he won an NBA championship. He won a couple as a coach. I know that uh, uh, Larry Bird called him the nicest man he ever met. Well, very quickly on that, I got to meet and talk with Casey Jones a couple of times because he was the color analyst for the University of Hartford, and Penn State would play them. And Larry Bird's right. Casey Jones was about as nice a guy as you'd ever want to meet in your life. Uh, man, did he know the game. Well, 88 years of age, great guy. Now, Tom McGrath was telling me that uh, when Casey would come back to Boston, his former secretary, he'd always take her out to lunch. The holidays are a time of year to celebrate and reflect. Reflect on the past year. A year filled with challenges and uncertainty. Uncertainty that bred resilience and hope. Hope for healing, change, new beginnings, and unity. United as one people, one community, by one mission. To safeguard and protect what matters most. From all of us at Purdy Insurance, we wish you health, happiness, and joy this holiday season and success in the new year. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. And today's show is brought to you by Purdy Insurance. Market Street in Sunbury, go to purdyinsurance.com. Auto Home Life Business. They take care of all your insurance needs. They also find you the best price because saving money is also critical. They'll make sure you're covered every step of the way. They are the pros, pros in insurance. And a happy new year from the Purdy family to yours. Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. And we're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Great pre-owned inventory as well with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. All at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. During the news break, the yelling and the screaming by Matt about the Eagles and about Doug Peterson. I mean, it's just... (laughs) We'll call it that. I mean, people have no idea the patience I have on this end. (laughs) 
And this guy on the line that's going to join us knows exactly what you're talking about. He dealt with that for four years with me. <laughs> Alex, you know Alex Kazora, by the way, from SteelersDepot.com, uh, knows more than anybody else. Alex, welcome. Great to have you with us. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me on TV. I would consider you less of a radio host, more of a saint for putting up with Catrillo for as much as you have. To, 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 I mean, Alex, to be, to be honest with you, I mean, there are some people that, that make $200 an hour. You know, just sitting there listening to somebody on the couch like this. I mean, it's it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, he wants Joe Kuharik fired. I'm like, hey, look, Joe Kuharik's no longer with us. I mean, he's, he's, he's just he's ranting like a wild man. He's just throwing out names. Norm Sneed. All right. <laughs> the Steelers took deep shots on Sunday after after a first half of an offense that looked like it had not adjusted in a month. They then took and then hit a couple of deep shots. What did that then do to open the underneath windows again? It's exactly that. And and the difference is, isn't that they attempted more deep shots. They just were more successful in completing them, of course. Against the Bengals, for example, Ben was 1 for 14 on passes with an air, air distance of 10-plus yards. Against the Colts, he was 8 or 12. So actually threw it less deeper down the field against the Colts and the Bengals, but he hit them much more often. And so that did, as you said, kind of soften up the Colts' defense, allowed them some more underneath plays. But just overall, this offense has to hit those deep shots downfield, especially when you're down 17 points, five minutes left in the third quarter. You're not going to be able to catch up by nickel and diming your way with three- to five-yard gains. You're going to have to hit some big plays. They started that with a Deontay Johnson touchdown for 39 yards. That kind of got the, the party started and some, some life back into this offense. So it's really critical for the Steelers' offense that has no running game. I have no optimism at all that they will have a running game for the rest of the season. That's a big concern, but at least if they can pair the deep passing game with that quick extension of the run game, the one three-step passing game, that gives yourself a fighting chance. And so to have that element and that balance to your offense against the Colts was extremely critical. Alex, how is the league adjusted to Chase Claypool? Um, I don't know if there's any one particular way they've adjusted to him. I think he's just learning about how much more physical the NFL is and how much how, how often and how much better DBs are at finishing some plays. And he's had some issues with trying to finish completing the, the catch and things like that. I would just say, really, the thing that's kind of held him back a little bit is the emergence of James Washington. He's also been their deep threat. You know, and Claypool was the guy eating away at Washington snaps through the first midseason uh, of the year, and then Washington kind of, you know, was able to storm back and see an increase in playing time. So I don't know if there's any one particular thing I see on Claypool that's different than before. I know the Steelers have talked about managing his snaps and making sure he doesn't hit the rookie wall because he has played so much, and this has been such a difficult year for rookies to try to adjust without any sort of off-season program or any sort of training rules to get those guys ready. So I think it's just the ebb and flow of the offense of the season. James Conner was able to get back in there with some limited snaps yesterday. What did he mean to some of the success we saw? I think his impact was more than just a runner because the running game went nowhere, and, and Conner was included in that. It was really more of a pass protection and a receiver. He had a couple of key third-down receptions. He's the best pass protecting back on the team. There's a lot of trust. He's a you know versatile guy that can line up out wide in the backfield wherever you have put him. He's comfortable in doing that. So again, the run game was bad. I mean, he ran for 20 yards yesterday. Their long was like 12 yards, and that was it. Um, and it's not going to probably get a lot better. That's on the offensive line. It's on plate calling. It's on the running back. It's not just one unit, but I think Connor gives you a lot more in other areas as a receiver and a blocker that's really important for this pass-first offense. 
They also made an adjustment with how they handled their one high safety uh, look with Minka Fitzpatrick yesterday. What did that mean, especially against a quarterback that has a lack of mobility in Phillip Rivers? Yeah, the thing that they did with they've done with Minka, and it's probably the biggest difference from last year to this year. Last year when he got traded over midseason, he was almost always the, the deep free safety, always playing single high, and, and quarterbacks never threw that direction. And so he was kind of quiet in terms of a splash play standpoint to back after the season because he was always 20 yards deep, just patrolling center field. This year, they've done a lot more rotations with putting him as a robber, as a alert guy to take away some of these crossing routes and get him closer to the action, closer to the football, and have a chance to make more plays underneath. And I think you saw that against the Colts, a lot of rotation. It looks like it's too high, pre-snap, cover two, two men, something like that. And then they'll rotate to a cover three or cover one on the snap and let Mika just kind of be closer to the action. And so I think that's allowed him to make some plays on some of those crossing patterns that, uh, that offense is trying to counter with. The Colts didn't have either of their starting offensive tackles for this game. Were you surprised that the Colts moved the ball the way they did? I realize that Rivers does a lot of quick release work, and he's a veteran that gets it. But still, were you surprised that they moved the ball the way they did for the first two and a half, three quarters? Yeah, it was it was disappointing. And the Colts have a really good offense, and Rivers is having a fantastic year in Indy. He's got a ton of weapons. I think the biggest disappointment to me was how well they ran the football. And for the first, I don't know, six to eight weeks of the season, Pittsburgh had legitimately the best run defense in football. But after losing guys like... Uh, Devin Bush and Bud Dupree and Robert Spillane. I've compared it to a boxer in the 10th round, right? 10th round that's taking like body blow after body blow and it just kind of adds up over time. So the one loss of Dupree, the one loss of Devin Bush you can sustain and, and kind of move on from, uh, it's hard when all those things come together. And so I thought the Colts had a really good rushing attack with Jonathan Taylor falling forth, getting yards after contact, things like that. Um, but then Pittsburgh was able to adjust in the second half, play better, and then once the Colts turned to their third string left tackle, you know, they really kind of eat up heated them up and the pass rush was a lot more effective and they sacked Philip Rivers five times and Rivers had only been sacked 14 times the entire season coming into that game they dropped him five times so the fact that they could get pressure take away the football to win a turnover battle the Steelers were plus two those were the big keys defensively that allowed them to get back and ultimately win this game T.J. Watt is obviously a special talent how has he been affected though by not having Bud Dupree on the other side if at all yeah, I don't think it's really been much of a change. I know the conventional wisdom is that T.J. Watt's drawing more tension now that Bud Dupree's not there, but listen, T.J. Watt's Defensive Player of the Year. Like, he was drawing plenty of attention before Bud Dupree went down. I think it's just more highlighted because you don't have Bud Dupree with as many one-on-one opportunities on the backside that Dupree would always win, you know, trusting Alex Highsmith, a rookie, to win those, and he's simply not going to win quite as often, although I thought Highsmith had a couple of key pressures late yesterday, and he's going to be the Steelers starting right outside linebacker next year. I think overall, all things considered, Highsmith has been impressive. But, yeah, they're chipping the heck out of T.J. Watt with tight ends and running backs and alignments to force them wide. It's certainly been tough, but still the dude had two sacks yesterday, a strip sack fumble that set up Steelers' first touchdown. To me, T.J. Watt is the no-brainer defensive player of the season. Week 17 is essentially the first week of the playoffs for certain teams. This is a playoff game for Cleveland. They win, they're in. How interested are you to see how the Steelers play this game if they play it like they did the first 40 minutes on Sunday against Indianapolis or how they played the last 40 minutes against Indian, the last 20 minutes against Indianapolis? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it'll be interesting to see just 
who plays at all. Because the Steelers, this game doesn't mean a whole lot to them. I mean, they're locked basically into the two or three seed right now. And so for a That's team right. that had, had their bye week back in week four, it's been a long slog. I think you've definitely felt the physical and mental tiredness of this team after crazy schedule changes and things like that. I don't know exactly how Tomlin's going to approach it. We'll talk to the media t- tomorrow and maybe shed some light on it. But I am currently not expecting some of the key guys not to play or to play. I think Ben's going to sit. I think Ken Hayward's going to sit. Pouncey, hopefully T.J. Watt sits to give this team a bit of a break heading into the playoffs considering this game really doesn't mean a whole lot for Pittsburgh. So let's talk about that for a moment. I, I've always understood the concept of it, and I realized that this will be the 13th straight week the Steelers have played, so I got that. But I, no offense, Alex, I rarely see this work. I mean, rarely have I seen, hey, let's sit a bunch of guys, and then the team comes out sharp. I've felt that the approach always needed to be just watching over the years. And I want to see how you feel about this. Play them a half in the first series of the second half, then sit them. In other words, just enough to get them out there. Once again, still that feeling to come out of the locker room. Then you sit the guys down. that, 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 to me, is the one that at least keeps you game sharp. Right. I think that's fair. And again, I don't know how the Steelers will approach it. And you're right, back in 2017, the Steelers' last playoff appearance, I believe they sat guys end of the year and they ended up getting upset by Jacksonville in the playoffs and, and were one and done. So there's certainly, it's one of those things where if you sit guys and you lose in round one, everyone's questioning your decision. But if, play, if you play your guys and you lose you know, round one, you say, yeah, maybe we should have sat those guys. So it's a tough spot to be in. But I think, just, I understand that point completely. Uh, but I think just given the circumstances of the pandemic, this crazy year, the bye week being way up to week four, which really wasn't even a bye week for those guys because they were planning for most of the week to play that game and then it got canceled right. or postponed at the last second. I just think given the craziness of the year, I think this has been a team that's tired and probably just not everybody can sit because your roster size is only so big, but I think at least three or four of the, the key players is probably the approach this team will take. Oh, wonderful. We get to see Miles Garrett against Mason Rudolph. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I'm sure they're, uh, they did not send each other Christmas cards. I can promise you that. Uh, I'm sure they. I'm sure they didn't. Um, offensively for the Steelers, why is the offensive line? Why is Villanueva struggled so much? I, if you were to pick certain guys, I wouldn't think he'd struggle as much. I think Pouncey struggled mm-hmm. as well. Why? Well, I think it passed, but they've done a good job. I mean, Ben's only been sacked, I think, 13 or 14 times the entire season. And for a team that's throwing the ball as much as any team in the football, I think overall they've done a good job. Part of that, of course, is Ben's quick release. He's got the, the quickest snap to throw in, in football, about 2.3 seconds. But I do think Villanueva and, and the whole line as a whole has done a good job. Run block is a different story. And, and the thing that gets me about that, Steve, is that for the first four weeks of the season, they weren't a great running team, but they were a decent running team. They ran the ball for... You know, 100 straight or 100 yards in, in, in the first four games. They averaged about four and a half yards per carry. They ran it situationally to close out games. Uh, ran it well against the Eagles overall. But since then, it's just gone in the tank. And it's not like the personnel has changed dramatically or the schemes changed dramatically or anything like that. And so it's been really disappointing and frustrating. That's the biggest thing that worries me, worries me about the Steelers team is that they are a terrible running football team. They can't run it situationally. You know, Mike Tomlin's talked about he has the old coaching creed of. If you can't get a yard, you don't deserve to win a game. Well, the Steelers are the worst get-a-yard team in football the last two years on third and fourth and one. They convert at just above 50%, which is the worst mark in football. And so I think going forward in the playoffs, you're asking the Steelers team to win 
four games to win a Super Bowl without any semblance of a running game. And I think that's going to be pretty hard to sustain in the postseason against the, the best of the best. No, I don't think he'll kick this weekend. And obviously, Mike Tomlin hasn't met with the media yet. But how important would it be to get Chris Boswell back for the playoffs? Yeah, it'd be huge. I mean, if you assuming you're you're going to be hosting a one postseason game, whether you're the two or three, and you're going to be kicking right. in January at Heinz Field, and I want to have Chris Boswell out there for that, as opposed to a rookie and Matthew Wright. So um, I'm not entirely sure if Boswell's going to play this week. Probably I'm with you where they won't play unless they really had to for some reason or felt super confident about it. Um, but yeah, getting Boz back, he has been excellent since that one year, two years ago where he struggled. He bounced back from that, and it's been money ever since. It's interesting. That's the best I think the field has looked too, at this time of year. <laughs> Seriously, that field's always beat up at this time of the year. It is. Yeah, you think after a snowstorm it'd be pretty bad shape, but I guess they took it good uh, care of it. Yeah, Why they've been practicing they on it since since August, and they've had to keep it in uh, good shape. I know it's amazing. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Alex. All right. Thanks, Steve. Take care. And any quick note, by the way, for Matt before we go, because I mean it's you know uh, he, he took off. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there you go. Uh, He's basically right. I've heard that many times in our four years together on the radio in our college days. It's it's just seeing the Eagles have an ugly season, I think, has brought out an ugly side in you. (laughs) Let's see. Alex sat through all the Chip Kelly years. So that was that was an, that was in essence in itself. Plus the 2012 year when Andy got fired. Yeah, you probably wanted Andy fired though. Yeah, I had said it was time to move on. You probably wanted Chip fired. I didn't want I didn't want Chip since day one. <laughs> All right. Chip is a chapter so, in itself. Whether that so, besides that. So in other words, <laughs> like whomever is in that job. Like after three games, you want them fired? <laughs> Not necessarily. I was fine with Doug P till this year. Now he forgot how to coach. He messed up the quarterback. But we had a, we had a call, and we can get to this uh, on the other side uh, that chimed in with a couple things that I thought were actually were interesting, and I could lean a little bit away from that. So someone who's like logical and not a hater he was he's he was frustrated but he was more uh i guess we can call it rational <laughs> he was more relaxed well that wouldn't I was. take much that wouldn't take much all right we'll come <laughs> back with more in a moment on news radio 1070 wk okay brought to you by purdy insurance Who was the caller who was exponentially more rational than you? <laughs> well, well, more would, relaxed, actually, I should say. That would that would that would be, by the way, any caller. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was more focusing on the the quarterback dilemma that the Eagles now kind of find themselves in, and he said he really he shouldn't have to trade one or the other because you the Eagles they say they drafted Jalen Hurts because. They wanted to make sure they had a quality backup for Wentz, which was true at the time, and you should still want to have that. And maybe, in a, at worst case, you let the preseason next year dictate where you go with the quarterback situation. So he thinks both should be kept next year, regardless of what happens 
in other offseason moves. And I can I can understand except, that to some except, extent. Except I don't think they drafted Hurts to be that. I think they drafted Hurts to be that slash X-factor guy that they can insert in various ways in the offense to outsmart people. I don't think they drafted him to be the quarterback. I think it I was think a combo of both. Him. They, already gave, they were giving a million dollars a year to Nate Sutfeld. You know, Nate Sutfeld makes a million. Right. Okay? Why, if, if you're drafting this guy to be in that role, why give that guy a million? No, exactly right. I mean, that's why it was, it was puzzling, because you can think of it in a million different ways as to why or why they would, would or wouldn't draft him in the, in the second round, which is stupid, again, which is why it was a head stretcher to begin with. When it comes to Jalen Hurts, drafting him no earlier than the third, okay, drafting him in the third round, I could see the fourth round, absolutely. Yeah. It's the second round where I sat back and went, well, you're, you're a team with with probably five to seven needs positionally. That wasn't one of them. So why do that? Look, the fact that he's been the starting quarterback the last three games is only because they fell into it. It wasn't the plan. This is not Eli Manning getting picked. Kurt Warner's the starting quarterback. And Kurt Warner with the Giants knows he's going to be replaced by Eli Manning at some point. And the Giants made the move, well, like midseason, something like that. And then Kurt Warner became the backup and Manning became the starter. But when the Giants made the trade on draft day of Phillip Rivers for Eli Manning, the idea was with both the Chargers with Rivers and Manning with the Giants that they were going to be eventually the starters and probably that year. Okay? When Jalen Hurts was picked, nobody sat back and said, hey, by midseason, he'll be the starting quarterback. Nobody. Not even the Hurts family thought that. (laughs) It's because of a, a, a long list of dominoes that have fallen that Hurts became the starting quarterback. And to me, the biggest dominoes to fall for the Eagles that really said Carson Wentz back was the offensive line. All those injuries on the offensive line, I don't think any quarterback would feel secure behind that unit. Hurts at least can run around a little bit. He does a good job of, of picking guys out. But then when he when he fell behind yesterday, he started throwing interceptions. He started forcing the ball. He started to try and make plays, which is what a kid would do. So it's not atypical that he would make plays like that. But is he the long-term answer? Well, I'd be hard-pressed to say that. I mean, to me, you got to go into this draft and you got to go offensive line first round, then make up your mind as to whether the second round your offensive line and then you got to get you got to get more receivers. 